so much of our culture, including the church, it sets up unrealistic ideals of what success looks like. One of my favorite accounts to follow on Instagram is uh, Preachers in Sneakers, which captures the image <laughs> of mega church pastor's attire and then researches how much was spent on the shoes, the jackets, and the jewelry. Yeah. Uh, one of their more recent posts was uh, of Stephen Furtick from Elevation Church uh, preaching in an over $600 sweatshirt. You know, is the church failing people when it creates uh, a celebrity mentality around pastors and Christian cultural figures? Are we giving people yet another avenue for them to crave what others have and think that's what success and true Christianity looks like? Welcome to the CBF Podcast Conversation. We know that conversations matter. So each week we are grinding through the critical research to bring you the best stories and resources of people doing groundbreaking and innovative work and renewing God's world. I'm Andy Hale, your CBF Podcast host. And this year we're celebrating our seventh year of the podcast, bringing you even better interviews worth your time, attention, and collaboration. These episodes are not intended for you to listen to an island unto yourself. Get online, share your insights, thoughts, and feedback from the podcast with us on CBF's Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram pages. We also want you to join the CBF podcast community through our CBF podcast listener support page at cbf.net backslash podcast support. We see you, Pasadena, California, Louisville, Kentucky, Beaverton, Oregon, and Frankfurt, Germany. First-time listeners and long-time listeners, we are grateful you are here for the conversation. Go ahead and click that subscribe button and be sure to rate and review the podcast as it helps others find us. We want to give a special shout out to some of our listener supporters, including Carson Fushi, Caroline Bell, Cindy Foldenlore, Trip Hawthorne, Carla Mike Wick, and that generous anonymous donor that keeps giving in honor of CBF Grump. And before we move on, we want to give a special shout out to our annual sponsors, Baptist Seminary of Kentucky and Christian Healthcare Ministries. Our guest for this week's CBF podcast conversation is Elizabeth Woodson. She is a Bible teacher and author of several books, including From the Beginning to Forever and Embrace Your Life. Elizabeth, thank you for joining the conversation. Thanks for having me, Andy. It's great to be here. So I know we were talking pre-record. You know, you're uh, you're in Texas, but thank goodness for our audience, you're not a true Texan. Uh, you know, <laughs> Um, you know, while Texas has amazing barbecue and we appreciate our Texas listeners, you know, any chance we get to kind of lower the ego of our Texans, uh, we do. So tell us a little bit more about yourself. Yeah, I am originally from the East Coast and Midwest. And so I grew up in Baltimore and New York, upstate New York and Indianapolis. I went to college right outside Chicago and stayed there for a couple of years after graduation uh, my my background, original background is in business. And so the Lord called me out of the marketplace in the ministry over a decade ago, brought me to Dallas to go to Dallas Theological Seminary and really gave me a love for the local church. And so you can find me most days, whether it is in church or it is supporting the church um, in places that are active in discipleship and theological education. I grew up wondering why the gospel mattered. I grew up in a Christian home and Jesus was just what we did. And I have wonderful parents. Um, but it took me a while to figure out how the gospel impacted my own life. And so I think from that place and the way in which God just kept this curiosity and this desire to figure out the why, the desire to figure out how this really impacted my life. And so 
the work I do now is really rooted in that journey and helping other people figure out what does it mean to really follow Jesus in a way that's transformative, both for their own life and the world that we live in. All right, we're going to get all the businessy stuff here in a second. Let's go back to where you're from originally, Baltimore, one of my favorite cities in the world. That city has <laughs> so much culture and so much history there. Um, I'm sure you, you've got to miss the the food scene from from Baltimore. Oh, yeah. Like it. I appreciate the seafood I get here in Texas, but I always wonder what fresh body of water it came out of because we're not close to $20. <laughs> um, and so being back on the East Coast, being back in Baltimore, um, I've been back a few times over the past few years. And so getting some good seafood uh, has always been a joy of mine. Yeah. For our audience, you know, if you enjoy seafood, just imagine, you know, most like seafood restaurants away from the coast, you, if you want to order something like crab, it's expensive as all get up. But imagine mm -hmm. in Baltimore, you can sit down at these restaurants and you order and they just have, you know, um, paper that's covering the table, uh, parchment paper typically, and they'll just dump a whole like pot full yeah. of crabs uh, on the table. And it, you just eat with your hands and you enjoy being in conversation with people. Um, it's amazing food. It's so good. Um, tell us a little bit more about your work and get to the book in just a second. Um, you know, obviously you're, you're a teacher, uh, you know, what does that look like for you? How are you, uh, living out your vocation? Yeah. So I have spent probably the past seven years working vocationally in the church. So I served, uh, on staff at Oak Cliff Olive Fellowship here in Texas, uh, with Dr. Tony Evans leading their ministry to single adults and just love that. And how do you help people who might not want to embrace the season that they're in really find joy in thriving um, and understand how their Bible applies to that. But then spent some time at the village church in North Dallas uh, in their Institute. And so was the director of uh, classes and curriculum and teaching and writing curriculum to help people understand their faith. And so what does that mean? In the basics of theology, what does that mean in the story of our Bible? What does that mean in spiritual formation and spiritual disciplines? And so about a year ago, um, just felt prompted by the Lord. I always love these adventures that he gives me to step out on my own and really take what I've learned over the years and partner with just different churches all across the country. Um, and so what that looks like now is I will go speak at different conferences and different retreats. I mean, ways to really encourage people, but also to stretch their mind for what it means to love God with their mind, especially women. Um, I don't know if it is always normative for women to be pulled higher to a place of thinking deeply theologically about their faith. And so I try to show up in that way, but I also work with churches. And so when it comes to, and I think we're just in a moment where people are realizing maybe we haven't been discipling our people as well as we should have, or there's a gap, or we have new people in our churches and they need to understand the faith that they have joined in on. And so helping churches think through that, create programming for that. Also, when it comes to theological education, I went to seminary, I love seminary, but I don't think you need to go, should have to go to seminary to learn what your Bible says. I feel like you should be able to do that at your local church. And so how do we help regain a vision for theological education in the local church? So that's kind of what I do. I do speaking, I do some writing and consulting, and it's a whole lot of fun. Hmm. I'm fascinated by that particular angle you're thinking of of the mind, right? Because I think mm -hmm. for the for such a long time, the church has thought about, you know, that we think about discipling people around their thoughts, right? <laughs> but yeah. it goes so much deeper than that. Yeah. Um, I'm actually doing uh, my doctoral studies right now around 
uh, cognitive and social science, uh, looking at that through a theological lens. And so okay. the better we can understand how our minds function um, and our, yeah. how we process things and then how that uh, then relates to the way that we see ourselves and the way that we interact with others uh, is, is quite fascinating and quite telling. And I think we can embrace that through a theological lens um, to to be more holistic and to thrive both individually and collectively in our relationships and especially in loving our neighbor uh, yeah. in this time of, of um, division and tension um, in which our communities and our politics and our church traditions don't want to seem to come to a common table to share in conversations together yeah you know i think these past few years have shown i think the complexity of how our faith shows up in real time um and so that people our folks sometimes are putting their faith and believing in things they're like well that's kind of antithetical to the gospel <laughs> you know but why can't you see that i think there is this point of confusion and maybe a little frustration but then there's a point of okay well, how did you get there, right? You obviously have this place that you have developed this view about God that makes space for this belief that the church globally would say doesn't line up with scripture, but maybe here in your small location you think does. And so to me, it's been fascinating to say, how do we step back and really take a look at not just the habits people have or not just, you know, um, am I involved in charity work or am I involved in kind of the, the, what I would say upper level things, but really how are we helping people when it comes to how is your mind shaped to view who God is? And so that we, our worldview. So kind of, you know, this work of Christianity as a way of living and a way of showing up in the world, which can get into this place uh, being a little philosophical, but it is, everybody has a worldview. And so how do we how do we make sure that what we're doing on Sunday morning, how we are engaging people throughout the week, how we are challenging them helps them think critically. So when they show up, they can see, oh, this particular um, idea or concept that I am being exposed to, whether it's on social media or it's on the news um, or it's just in my family doesn't line up with what my Bible says. And sometimes that's not as clear, but that mm -hmm. takes time and development. And so that's the place I love to be in. And so, cause it's, it matters. And I think especially for a younger generation who's asking really hard questions and need some good answers from fellow believers. There's so much more I want to unpack there, but I do want to get to the book. <laughs> yeah. Um, so let's turn our attention to the book, uh, Embrace Your Life. This book examines what joy looks like in a time of, of suffering and trials. You wrote, shallow answers tend to frustrate me. So for the next few years, I wrestled with God and my Bible to find substantive ones. I wanted an answer that would be true, regardless whether it ended up being the answer I preferred. Walk us through the the conception of this book um, in your own journey. Yeah, the the book really popped up out of two places. I think one, just my experience in ministry. In ministry, you probably do one thing the most, and that's talk to people um, and talk to people about their own journeys. And I started to see this trend. I think especially in, I tell people the book is not about singleness, but I think my own, I am a single, never married in my late 30s. Um, and so that is, to be that type of person in the world, you have to have considered your singleness in a substantive way, I believe, if you want to, to live well. Um, and so doing that for myself, but also doing that in ministry with other people, I would see this trend. There are some people who, man, life was hard, right? So it might not have been their life stage. It might've been finances. It might've been health. It might've just been loneliness or just disappointment. 
that a friendship didn't work out well. Uh, but there were a group of people who were still trying to make it. Um, I tell one story in the book about a friend of mine who has a chronic illness. Um, and the Lord has provided blessing and healing since I wrote her story in the book, but just struggled for a long time. And so what is it like for her to really live? And so saw her and other people fighting to thrive and fighting to show up. But then there's another group of people who, and you could tell they were just stuck. Like it's the same story, it's the same excuses, and it's the same place of not being able to move past their pain. Um, and, you know, for me, it just is, like, how do I live? Right? I mean, it's just like, we only get one life, that God has given it to us, we live in a fallen world, and so hardship is something that will be a part of our journey. And so how do I learn to live with a sense of longing, live in seasons that are difficult, um, and not let those seasons in, in some way, figuratively, keep me in the bed with the covers over my head. Uh, and so I wanted to write something. I wrote it during the pandemic. I wrote it uh, while I was in my apartment by myself, isolated, uh, as we all were during that time, and really wanted to say, I want to write something that's a no matter the season, whether, you know, the Lord brings marriage my way and marriage is difficult, or whether it is health issues, or whether it's finances, or whether it's the loss of a loved one that I can pull it off the shelf and learn how to walk through that season and find joy and find substantive joy. Cause Charlotte, they just don't last. Like there are problems that we come across in life that don't have easy answers, but biblical truth still applies. And so how do we dig deeper? How do we unite ourselves with the story of redemption that God has been unfolding since the beginning of time and really find substantive truth. But it was that I wanted to provide a tool for myself but also provide a tool for people who were stuck because I was like, you have so much potential, but you can't get to that potential because you're kind of in this, this circular place of going around and around and how do we help you really thrive and not lose out on the beauty that still exists in your life. Let's go back to that thought on shallow answers. Um, mm -hmm. we, we've all heard the platitudes from well-intended church people when mm -hmm. we're going through difficult times and people often say, I'm just going to say the most curious things out of an attempt to help, but it doesn't help. You know, often, mm -hmm. often it hurts. You know, what is it about, you know, the, the Christian faith that people try to speak out of these platitudes that really aren't biblically based uh, to try to reason away when we're experiencing difficulty? Yeah, I think part of it, we just want to fix it. You know, it's hard to see somebody in pain. It's hard to see them struggling and you just want them not to be in that. Uh, and so you want to say something that puts a bow on it. Uh, you know, all things work together for the good of those who love the Lord. It is true, <laughs> but all things aren't good, you know? And so it's how we want to fix it. We want to take away the pain. We want to, whether it's in ourselves, sometimes we give ourselves those platitudes. Uh, but I think that's part of it. I think part of it is we feel like it's a tension. Like we have all these, these, these realities about the Christian faith that do not easily reconcile. And our faith in Christ calls us to hold on to both ends. And so there's a reality that God is good and that he is sovereign and he's loving and he's merciful. And that's one end. The other end is that suffering is a part of our existence. And those don't always reconcile. We don't always have an explanation of why bad things happen to good people. Uh, and so I think it's, it's our desire to want to resolve that tension, sometimes want to defend God. Uh, especially the people who might have their season of suffering causes them to move back from the Lord, reject God, 
be really angry and we want to defend the Lord and that's not what we're called to do. Um, but it is, it is that we want to step into something and resolve, remove, bring healing quickly when really reality says healing is going to come over a period of time. Um, but I, I want to believe that those platitudes, while they are not always helpful, come from a good place. Um, and sometimes I think we've got to realize that the work of healing and the work of helping people down the path doesn't just sit with us, but sits with the Holy Spirit. Um, and God does the work, but sometimes that work is a lot longer than we want it to be. Longing is a, a powerful human emotion. You wrote, friends, I don't know what longing looks like for you today. I don't know the story behind the disappointment you bear, nor do I know the specifics of your dis disillusionment or despair. I don't know which life you wish you could wake up to each morning. Um, you know, humans are complicated. We all want and desire different things. And we're really good at covering up what those desires actually are and displacing them with different thoughts and actions. So how do people get to the root of why they're struggling and what they're really longing for? Yeah, I think one, uh, self-awareness is a powerful uh, space of spiritual maturity. Because like you said, we are really quick to cover up or pull from coping mechanisms that are readily available to us to deal with our pain. Um, and so I think one is acknowledging the habits that I have that might make it easy for me to run from my pain. The one I always use uh, for folks is, you know, Texas. One of Texas's greatest gifts, they do give good things, is bluebell ice cream. It is wonderful, but bluebell ice cream is not gonna make my life better, <laughs> you know, but we run to comfort or many other things. And so it's being honest about that. I'm running to something to get away from the pain, to numb it. And then it's just to be just really honest with you and the Lord. Um, and to be honest about what I thought my life would look like, uh, whether it is I thought marriage would be easy, I thought parenting would be easy, I thought I would have a better job by now, I thought this relationship would be reconciled. I thought that I would be healed. Like I prayed for healing for years, Lord, and it still hasn't come or come in the way I wanted to. I think there is power in us being honest with God. Uh, sometimes we think that we can't tell him how we really feel. And he already knows what everything we're thinking um, and is not afraid of our doubt. Is not afraid of our um, what we might consider strong language or honesty. You see that in the Psalms. You see that. 40% of the Psalms are Psalms of Lament. And Psalms of Lament usually start with these really strong cries out to the Lord. Um, and I think this first place of acknowledging our longing is to name it. And naming it is self-awareness of what am I really feeling? What might I be doing to cover it up? But then also answering the question, what about my life do I not really want? What's, what's the pain point? And I think when you do that, you set yourself up to be able to find healing, um, but you can't you can't find healing for a problem that you don't you don't know exists. Human nature is is to crave um, better based on what we see others have. Um, as you wrote, we want what we think they have: their happy marriage, beautiful appearances, perfectly behaved children, or successful career. As we virtually consume the lives of others, our hearts begin to crave attention, accolades, and superiority. Um, you know, obviously, most people who 
have common sense can recognize that mm -hmm. social media has just become a, a new avenue for us to um, seek what others have, you know, and crave that and uh, can have a sense of um, um, something that goes deeper than, than maybe what we care to recognize, you know, so I, I wonder, um, as you help people, you know, to recognize their relationship with something like social media, what, what, where does that conversation begin? How does that, what does that look like from a discipleship standpoint? Um, yeah, I think it begins with, uh, what I would say this, I think I'll, I'll use a personal example just to, to frame my answer that I would be on social media and I would get off and I would feel really bad about myself. I just noticed that. Like I would just, you know, God's whole my life with blessing. Um, there's so much goodness, but when I get off, I was like, man, it just, there would be a sense of, I would feel less about myself than when I started. And I started to see that trend. And I was like, Elizabeth, it's because of what you are consuming. And as you see other people, you're like, well, I don't have what they have. And one, social media, we present the best. We present the highlight reels. People don't post their fights. They don't post, um, well, most people don't. Um, when it comes to, they don't post the hard moments. They post the really beautiful filtered moments. And so how do we, to me, again, self-awareness of how is what I'm consuming affecting how I view myself, how I view the people around me, and how I view the Lord. Um, and again, that comes up in a lot of different ways. It comes up in our conversation. It comes up in how we're spending our time. It comes up in how we're spending our money. Um, it just comes up in how uh, we view ourselves before and after you're on that platform, because there's just so much we consume, and we were not made to consume all of those things. Um, and so a discipleship conversation for me is just helping someone be reflective about what their social media consumption is doing to them. Um, and again, there's wisdom in that conversation in, in the questions you ask people, but it is, how does it affect how I view myself, how I view the people around me and how I view the Lord? Is it drawing me closer to God? Is it drawing me better into this place of virtue and this place of Christ-likeness or is it pulling me away from that? Is it having me focus on what I don't have, on how I want a life that looks like this person um, versus the life that God has given me, because it's hard to live what's uh, to deal with what's on your plate when all you're looking at is what everybody else has. And again, to me, that's a place of self-awareness, acknowledging what we're consuming, but then being able to make the connection between what we're consuming and how it's impacting us. We need to pause to tell you about one of our annual sponsors, Christian Healthcare Ministries. You want to create a strong Christian family that will uphold one another through thick and thin. What if healthcare worked the same way? With Christian Healthcare Ministries, budget-friendly, compassionate care is within your reach. CHM empowers you to pursue excellence in healthcare without added stress or the need to cut corners. Whether you're looking for a comprehensive maternity program or the flexibility to choose your own providers, CHM has options to fit your family's specific needs. As the nation's first and longest-serving health cost-sharing ministry, you can rest assured knowing that you are making a difference in the lives of fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Plus, you'll receive all the faith-based support of joining the larger CHM family. Encouragement and spiritual resources created for you and your little ones is just the beginning. Sounds different? It's by design. Join hundreds of thousands of members and discover the biblical solutions to your health care costs. 
To learn more, visit chministries.org. Since 2016, CBF has brought you episodes of interviews with authors and practitioners for conversations that matter. These stories of creativity and innovation have garnered weekly support from around the United States and the world. We are inviting you, the listeners, to join us in connecting with the podcast. Become a monthly listener supporter and receive some perks, including name recognition on the podcast, questions for upcoming guests, free books from the podcast, joining the podcast for an interview, and a VIP experience with the General Assembly podcast guest. There are five levels of listener support, starting at $5 per month. For less than the cost of a pumpkin spice latte, you will be featured by name on the weekly podcast episode. For more information and to join the community of listener supporters, visit cbf.net slash podcast support. So, so much of our culture, including the church, um, it sets up unrealistic ideals of what success looks like. Mm-hmm. Uh, w- one of my favorite accounts to follow on Instagram is uh, Preachers in Sneakers, which captures the <laughs> image of mega church pastor's attire and then researches how much was spent on the shoes, the jackets, and the jewelry. Yeah. Uh, one of their more recent posts was uh, of Stephen Furtick from Elevation Church uh, preaching in an over $600 sweatshirt. Um, you know, is the church failing people when it creates uh, a celebrity mentality around pastors and Christian cultural figures? Are we giving people yet another avenue for them to crave what others have and think that's what success and true Christianity looks like? I think we we make we point people to the wrong goal, and um, because the goal becomes fame, the goal becomes monetary success and the lord blesses people financially he blesses them to hold a lot i think that partly is so that they can help give and and uh, a gift of generosity uh but we make the goal that i would look a certain way that i would have all these people follow me um and that i would be this really important person that people look up to and that just isn't what we see historically in the church when it comes to, I think, when it comes to pastoring, when it comes to shepherding people, but when it also comes to um, what faithfulness looks like in the life of the believer. Um, and for much of church history, faithfulness has been living in the ordinary moments that um, people don't see. Caitlin, um, Betty, uh recently wrote a book, Celebrities for Jesus, and I had an opportunity to talk to her about it. And in the dedication, she um, dedicates it, and, it, and I, well, I will mess up the specific wording, but it really is to a woman in a book, um, and then the author was talking about all the wonderful things she did, but, it's, but that her grave was like unmarked. Um, and again, I could have totally butchered the specifics of that, but it's that she did all these wonderful things for people in her community, but people aren't falling over themselves to visit her tomb, right? It just is that she's not necessarily remembered. Um, and what we want is we want people to know us. We want people to praise us. And faithfulness is that we would just love the people around us as we impacted them. Not that the masses would bring us glory. And I think celebrity culture does that, that we miss the goal is not faithfulness in the ordinary moments. And we see beauty in the ordinary that we learn to love the ordinary, but the goal for us becomes this extraordinary glory um, filled attention that I want people to celebrate me, or I think that that is an example of faithfulness. 
And we also see the flip side of celebrity culture, of pastors. There are a lot of pastors who do wonderful things. Um, and even who have large platforms who are serving their churches faithfully. But you and I both know the pastors who have that kind of prestige and don't handle it well. Um, and so we see scandal, we see um, in so many different ways. Um, and it just is, maybe it's because we're giving people things that they weren't made to handle. Um, and we miss that faithfulness is walking with a group of people and, be, and loving people and impacting them for the kingdom in ways that most people will never see. And maybe even remember, um, but in the scheme of what God is doing, that is where significance and faithfulness lies. And so I think celebrity culture messes that up for us because it moves the goal um, and confuses us about what's really important. You know, how many times have we seen um, prominent pastors fall from grace unexpectedly when mm -hmm. really their marriage and their families were struggling all along? Um, but right. people's desire to present perfection instead of mm -hmm. authenticity might be setting up many people for failures personally and familially. Um, yeah. There's an Instagram in influencer that recently posted a bunch of before and after pictures of her modeling shoot. And she wanted to show that with the right camera angle, you can make anyone look quote perfect when in reality, mm -hmm. she's just as quote imperfect as anyone else. So she posted yeah. a bunch of very flattering and a bunch of very unflattering pictures of herself, um, you know, to, to prove the point. Where where can the church step in here? Because, you know, again, depending on your faith tradition, the hyper-focus on, you know, the cultural sins and what's wrong with our world often can uh, conflate the conversation to present ourselves as perfect rather than as flawed individuals who are seeking a perfect God um, and, and that love and that grace that, that covers all of our imperfections. Yeah, you know, the the life of the believer is one of transformation over a long period of time. And so I think that's partly also what social media kind of makes difficult is because things are very instantaneous. Um, and that's just not the Christian life. Like the spiritual growth journey is, I think we would love for it to be a straight line, but a lot of times it looks a little bit more curvy as we are um, learning what it means to follow Jesus and learning what it means to submit to the Holy Spirit. And so uh, I think that there is this, the church can really provide a gift to people by one, um, introducing to them to that, like framing our discipleship journey is, it's not one of perfection, it's really just one of surrender. And there will be seasons of life where that's easier and seasons of life where we need the community to call us back to a path of surrender. Um, but then also that a lot of that transformation happens in places where you're known. And known by someone who loves you, who's going to show up for you in the good and the hard, um, who knows you well enough to know what you're going to do in a hard season and, and get before that, get in front of you to help bring you back to a place of health. Um, and so I think one, showing that the journey of transformation is long and the journey of transformation can be complicated, but it's still beautiful. Um, it is a process of becoming like Christ, and that process is over a lifetime and will not be complete until we meet our Savior face to face. But it also is a process that happens in community, um, and there's a lot of beauty in the quiet community of being known not by a ton of different people, but by a few people over a long period of time. And so that the church can can create spaces in which that happens. Um, and that's not always easy from a church ministry perspective of helping people learn 
how to live in community with one another, but it is in that place that we are formed. And it is in that place that we experience the depth of being known. I think loneliness is a really big dynamic in our culture today. And as much as we're connected, people feel disconnected. Uh, and so if the church can be a place of pointing us in the right direction for spiritual transformation, but also providing environments for that to happen, there's a lot of beauty that can happen that we can see come to the surface and people see, oh, the narrative for Christianity that we might see on the news or we might see on social media isn't what is the whole story. And there's a lot of beauty to be held um, about what it means to show up as God's people in the world, but we got to see that in front of us and the church can have a part in really creating spaces for that to happen. A foundational aspect of this book is uh, around self-examination. Um, uh, but I'm, you know, I'm not telling you um, anything we don't already know. Most Americans are not accustomed to finding fault uh, in themselves, but it's always finding fault in others. We're, we're always the victim. You can just close your eyes and hear people say, if they would only understand where I was coming from, don't judge me. You don't know where, uh, what's going on with me. So how, how do we... How do we come to a place of self-examination when so much of the way of our lives are wired um, goes against it? Self-examination requires a lot of humility. Um, and I think it requires a letting go of that I have it all together. And that step right there, and like you said, our American culture doesn't lend itself for us to take a look inwardly, especially in this moment where, you know, do what you feel, relativism, um, just accept me as I am and not to say that maybe who you are isn't okay and maybe you need to be better. And so a humility to, you know, I just think about Psalm 139, those words that, that, that David has at the end of search me, oh God, like his desire for us to, and I think this is the Christian journey that we know in, in a way that's healthy, because I think there can be an unhealth to it. Uh, that I am in a state of transformation. And so that ne I need to check my heart. Like I need the Lord to reveal to me the ways in which I'm not living up to what it means to follow him and to walk in Christ likeness. And it takes humility to say, Lord, can you show me the ways in which I'm broken? And also to say that my brokenness isn't an okay place for me to stay in. People can find identity in their pain. Um, we have a culture that I appreciate the 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 language and space people are getting to trauma and to pain and to the things of our past and a place for healing and counseling, all of that's beautiful. Uh, but again, everything has a sharp edge to it. Uh, and I think a sharp edge that people can find identity in their trauma. They can use it as an excuse when the Lord calls us to a place of healing and emotional health. You can't be spiritually mature if you're not emotionally mature. And that part, all of that is part of our Christian journey. And so it's Lord, that we have a humility to acknowledge that I am a fallen individual outside of Christ. I cannot love the Lord. I cannot serve him. And so I have a tendency to choose myself. I'm a tendency to fall into a place of brokenness and that we would want to not stay there. And again, that within itself can be a lot for some people, but the gospel shows that to us. Our Bible shows us the depravity of humanity. And so it shouldn't be a surprise to us um, when we aren't perfect people. Uh, it should scream out to us from the pages of a need to acknowledge brokenness so that we can find healing and then being able to see the Lord do that healing work. You wrote, ultimately, as believers, we practice emotional avoidance when we fail to accept 
and process our emotions in light of the gospel. As we walk in step with Jesus' gospel, God transforms our lived experience on earth as we await eternity with God. And this transformation includes our emotions. Uh, take us a little deeper. Yeah, emotional. Again, we pain is is a longing. Um, the 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 seasons, and again, the problems. I want to the wisdom I try to provide in the book. To me, is pointing at problems that that don't have easy answers. Problems that are not going to resolve in tomorrow or a year from now or five years from now. And so that's weighty, and we just we don't want to feel that. And that's, that's, that's our humanity. And so we are, the world tells us, you don't need to feel it, run from it. And so whether it is, you know, uh, comfort. And so there's a scale of comfort that we'll find, you know, on one end, it's just food. On the other end, it's drugs. It is, um, it is sex. It is all these ways in which we try to find comfort for a person that can create habits that are really detrimental to us and to the community. It is approval, it's control, it's power. It's not wanting to be vulnerable. Pain makes us vulnerable and we will reject vulnerability and swing to the other end of the spectrum and really kind of power up on people um, because that that gives us a sense of, um, in, in some ways, I think that that gives us a sense of what to, it gives a sense of what to do with our pain, right? It's, it's complicated, those spaces are complicated, but again, it is, I can't run from this. That healing means I have to face it and walk through it. And that's really scary for a lot of people. Uh, and I think that's why running the, what we learn in our family of origin, again, what's displayed for us in society, and that we, the church would be a safe place for people to do that. I think that the church has a powerful ministry to provide safe places for people to face their pain, but also to walk through it. And that we would, instead of avoiding it, we would we would take it to the Lord. Um, and again, that can be a really huge step for someone to say, I'm not going to choose this thing. I'm not going to choose to find um, uh, healing or the soothing. We want the soothing for our soul. I'm not going to find it in a relationship. Um, I'm not going to find it in just working all the time. I'm not going to find it in just ignoring it. I'm going to find it by taking it to the Lord and doing the scary thing and um, being vulnerable and placing it before him and believing that he's going to provide me the healing that I need, even if I can't see it um on the front end and so emotional it just it prolongs the problem like it's not going to do the thing we want it to do and it always leaves us wanting more at the end of the day emotional avoidance can really find itself into a place of idolatry um, where we are wanting created things to do for us what only the creator can do and I, idols always ask more of us than we ever wanted to give and never give us what we thought they would and that is just from the beginning of time. And so that we would also know that if the creator has designed us, then he knows best what we need for healing. And we would trust him for that and start a journey of leaving the emotional avoidance and coming to him to figure out what it means to live healthy with the longing that we're experiencing. How do you imagine uh, this book being used by churches? Uh, I imagine it being used... Um, in a small group, the church had, the, not the church, the book has questions in the back because I, uh, to me, it's important that people have steps to be able to think about this in a group of people. And so just ways for them to read through what I present, but also live it out um, with a group of people. And so whether it is uh, uh, 
an adult Sunday school class, an adult Bible study, whether it is, I know there are churches have special programs for people who are just walking through uh, things that they need to be in recovery for. And so uh, grief or loss or disappointment or loneliness, um, you know, that can be a tool for that to help people who all are struggling with the same thing or similar things to walk through that together. Uh, but to me, my hope is that it would not just be used by individuals. You can read it on your own and walk through the questions on your own. My hope is that churches would use it in a small group type of environment to help people grow together in this way. Our guest is Elizabeth Woodson. The book is Embrace Your Life. You can stay connected with Elizabeth by visiting elizabethwoodson.net. Elizabeth, thank you for uh, taking the time to talk with us. And more importantly, thank you for reminding us um, that the God we serve is still good and the life God has given us is still worth living. Thank you, Andy. It was great to be here. Before we wrap up, we need to tell you about one more of our annual sponsors, Baptist Seminary of Kentucky. Are you looking for a Bible study resource for your church? Responding to an invitation from the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship of Virginia, Baptist Seminary of Kentucky has produced Bible study resources that is available for free of charge. The study title, Faithful Curiosity, Five-Week Study of Luke and Acts, deals with three passages from Luke and two passages from Acts. It offers Bible study methods and provides two interpretive essays for each passage. The writers are BSK faculty, staff, students, and alumni. Download this resource for free today at bsk.edu backslash faithful. Okay, that's it. That's our conversation. If you want more, be sure to subscribe to CBF Podcast on all major platforms, including iTunes, Amazon Music, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Google Podcast. Don't forget to like and share this episode on your favorite social media platform. Go ahead and click that subscribe button. Be sure to rate and review the podcast as it helps others find us. Check out cbf.net for more information about church starters, field personnel, advocacy work, and much more. And, uh, oh yeah, I think we mentioned that you should uh, join the listener support community at cbf.net backslash podcast support.